Hello and welcome to The Invisible Hand. I'm your host, Dominique Sherab, and I'm joined by my co-host, Paul Scanlon, to look under the hood of the Australian economy with a view to understanding what is happening and why. I'm really excited about this episode. It's our annual Invisible Hand Predictions episode, where we look to the year ahead and put our forecasting hats on, bringing you our predictions for key stats for the end of 2024. It was actually meant to be the last episode of 2023, but we couldn't quite make it work. Welcome, Paul. Hi, Dom. No, we couldn't. Our diaries had some clashes. We were doing our best to get out there and stimulate the local tourism (laughs) and travel economy by having a couple of holidays, which we didn't quite manage to get our diaries around. But here we are, and I'm very excited. And I'm very excited uh, to be both with you and our international listeners. What I have come to find out is we now have listeners in the UK, Spain, US, Canada, and Singapore. So thank you to both our domestic and international listeners that have hung in with us for all of 2023 and are now about to get treated to our 2024 prediction episode. I'm so happy to hear that. It's so cool. (laughs) Before we look ahead, let's look back at the year that was. The cash rate started 2023 at 3.1% and ended the year at 4.35%, a total of five rate rises between February and November. Inflation was probably the biggest news story of 2023, starting the year at 7.8% quarterly, reducing to 5.4%. This certainly demonstrates that the hikes in interest rates did serve a purpose, however hard they were, but that inflation remains well above the agreed band of 2 to 3%. Population grew by 624,000 people, representing a 2.4% increase. The natural increase was 106,000 people, meaning that 518,000 people arrived in the country. We certainly did our best with the the arrival of our twins, so we added two (laughs) of those 106,000. It was pretty phenomenal, right? Like over 500,000 of that 600,000-odd increase in population came from overseas migration. Uh, We certainly are a country reliant on immigration. Absolutely. Uh, In fact, without this immigration, Australia would have been in a recession all year. Yeah, we certainly saw that as a story from 2023. We saw the overall economy or pie grow. So, there was overall economic growth. uh, But with the increase of people, we actually had what was called a per capita recession, meaning that uh, although there was more overall, everyone had just a little bit less. And I'm feeling it, mate. (laughs) But despite this, the government has announced the halving of the immigrant intake from 500,000 to 250,000 by 2025. Politics. Politics. We like talking about the invisible here and the invisible hand, and one of the big unspoken stories of 2023 was the substantial increase in income tax, which has led to a further 5% erosion of disposable income. Household disposable income has been slammed by two forces. We've all heard about interest rates this year, which has crushed 5% of household disposable income, but bracket creep has also taken away about the same. Bracket creep happens, of course, when income levels rise, so people are pushed into the next highest tax bracket. Increases in wages have caused increases in incomes, which has seen them be pushed into higher marginal tax rates, causing the government to run into a surprise surplus, which has been helped generously along by unexpectedly high iron ore exports to China. And speaking of... Well, just a moment there. That's a big story, I think, which has not really been talked about enough, uh, which is the reduction in household disposable incomes. What you're saying there is that we all heard the stories of increases in interest rates and the impacts that had on households. It took away 5% of disposable income. Uh, But an equal amount, uh, an additional 5% was taken away by bracket creep. And that's a huge story. So, overall, disposable incomes in houses went down by 10% overall. Yeah. 
Uh, we certainly saw, you know, an individual lose their job over, over uh, as a result of the review of the RBA. Dr. Philip Lowe has left his position as governor of the RBA, but that's only half the story. I mean, if we're really looking at an, an equal amount coming from bracket creep, then perhaps that government who completed the review and Mr. Chalmers should have a little review into themselves. <laughs> Fair point. China became the world's biggest exporter of cars in March 2023, thanks to massive government subsidies for electric cars. Why is this good news for Australia? Well, Australia supplies the iron ore, the coal, the gas, the nickel, the copper, and the lithium to produce these cars. So even though China's construction sector has collapsed or is collapsing, the price of iron ore uh, surged by 30% in the second half of 2023, which certainly helped uh, our government's coffers. Definitely did, and no one was predicting a government surplus last year, and those two surprise events both increased. Exports to China and iron ore royalties certainly helped, along with bracket creep, and that's been a really big positive uh, for the government balance sheet. Um, I think we do hold a record, though, here, Dom, as being the only podcast in 2023 that didn't mention Elon Musk, but here we are. <laughs> so Tesla got knocked off his perch, and BYD is now the biggest manufacturer of electric vehicles in the world. Amazing. Moving right along to predictions, and we're going to do this annually, and we'll check at the end of each year how you fared. Are you feeling the pressure? Well, I think so, Don, but on a, on a couple of bases, you've just made me realise that we've now strapped in for another year of doing this, so we <laughs> yeah. are going to be around next year, we've committed to being, to check these predictions, so that's one, uh, but very happy to do that. I've had a lot of fun with you in 2023 doing this podcast. Thank you to you and all of our listeners have stuck with us. That's kind of the point. We're going to put down where we think uh, a number of factors are going to go over the course of 2024 and hopefully provide at least a data point for our listeners to be helping them making decisions in 2024. First off the rank, Mr. Scanlon, where do you predict the RBA cash rate will be in December 2024, considering that we're at 435 the moment well this has been a tough one so I've, I've certainly been out on my lonesome a little bit on my predictions around cash rates and uh, we had lots of pauses in the middle of the year after um, four rises early in 2023 calendar year um, i was predicting higher for longer for a long time yeah um, uh, it's not cold comfort to anyone that it happened but there was another rise in november which got me closer to where i was predicting for the year so i was 25 bips off where I uh, predicted we would be at the end of the last year, but that's pretty close. It so, is pretty close. Uh, last year, I'll take sort of as a, as a semi-win, um, but I'm still remaining in the higher for longer category and um, pretty lonesome on that. There's not a lot of uh, – certainly no banks are predicting that, no bank economists. Uh, I'm predicting another rate rise, and I'm very much on my lonesome in that sense. So if you're looking out there for the herd consensus view, it's not to have a rate rise. So I'm predicting for 2024 that we are going to be either even, so at 4.35 or okay. higher. Mm -hmm. uh, I don't see us uh, going down in 2024 um, and I am predicting at least one rise. So there could be more is what I'm saying. I think the risk is on the upside. I think inflation is sticky and unpredictable. Mm -hmm. I'm certainly predicting property price rises, which will put a lot of pressure on the RBA to maintain a tightening bias. Uh, household balance sheets will be feeling the wealth effect from higher property prices as immigration continues and the property fundamentals are supported by more people wanting property and construction supply just being unable to catch up with the demand for that quickly enough. Yeah. So from those dynamics, yeah, certainly 4.35 or above. Damn. <laughs> 
So then what do you think about the inflation rate? What are, what are your predictions there? Yeah, well, this is interesting. So you, there's lots of places to see other forecasts here too. It's certainly the consensus amongst uh, economists, generally speaking, whether they be bank or um, economic forecasting agencies and the government, that um, inflation will return to the target band of 2 to 3% in 2024 calendar year. Mm-hmm. Uh, we know that the last quarterly rate was 5.4% per annum, which is much above 2, 2 to 3 The last monthly rate in 2023 was 4.9%. So mm-hmm. there's a downward trend, right? Like quarterly rate at 54 and a monthly rate at 49 means it's going down. So it's heading in the right direction. Um, but as I mentioned before, I'm still thinking that the market is not pricing in the stickiness or the challenge in unwinding inflation and how long it takes. I think people very quickly look at uh, an RBA cash rate that goes down in a linear fashion and expect that inflation will go down in a linear fashion, but it affects too many things in the economy in my view for it to be linear. It's just lumpy and lumpiness takes time to work through the system. So mm-hmm. um, my prediction, I'm going to give myself a band here rather than a fixed number, if that's okay, Dom. I'll, I'll permit it. I'm going to be predicting uh, somewhere between the 3.5% to 4.5% range by December 2024. And you think they'll only do one rate rise in 2024? Yeah, so it's a a great counterbalance to that statement that if I'm predicting rates to be higher than target band, why aren't I predicting more rate rises Mm -hmm. is where you're going with that, which I, I agree with. The challenge around that for the RBA is how blunt an instrument interest rates are. And I think that as long as they see or can develop confidence in the the medium-term trajectory of the inflation cycle, then they can develop some, some confidence to try and keep rates elevated but see that they're having the impact that they want to see that inflation is going down. Now, that's destructive. I mean, the RBA, in my view, should be moving harder and faster to bring inflation down faster because mm-hmm. the risk is on the upside as you leave it up and leave it work its way out of the economy slower and it's more destructive to balance sheets and income levels and uh, negative asset growth for, for people, negative real asset growth for people. But it's not what we've seen. You've got to go with what you've seen. We've seen an RBA which has been pretty patient and certainly been bashed up and there's been you know, a review of the RBA which has been quite critical of some of the aspects uh, and approaches it has taken. So I think they're going to be a little bit bruised by that. So it's true that they probably, if this prediction around inflation is correct, that interest rates should probably go higher than I'm saying. But I think it, that policy choice will be moderated by a relatively new governor, pretty wary of what happened to the last one, but developing some confidence or comfort from seeing inflation go the way they want it to go. That's so interesting to think that these decisions, like big decisions that affect all of our lives, are being made not on data points but on someone's comfort or confidence. But I think that's also just a a function of reality of forecasting. I mean, economic forecasting uh, always sounds like, and we'll do this podcast where I'll tell you some numbers, you know, I'll say that, you know, uh, I expect – interest rates or inflation to be a certain number or band by the end of the year. But these are these are all just scenario analysis. Like it, yeah. You cannot, if you're a good economist or forecaster, you've got to be anticipating a range of scenarios. And then what we're really saying here is what do we think are the most or most probable scenarios of all the scenarios that we're considering? And you'd be a bit of a mug if you didn't consider 
the entire range of scenarios and what you should do in all of those scenarios. So certainly if as a bit of a warning to listeners you know, listening to this podcast, you know, the predictions we're giving here are what we'd see as the most likely or what I'm saying is the most likely in my view outcome for the year. But it's not to say that there aren't other reasonably close outcomes that might be uh, in a probability sense possible or other ones that are even not very possible, very different. There are. And so whether it's the RBA, the government or mugs like us doing a, you know, a podcast on the side, everyone's having a crack and a guess. And these are guesses and they uh, guesses are based on confidence. You know, you can develop a, do a lot of research, and a lot of reading, which we do, and you can collect a lot of dots and a lot of data and you should, uh, but ultimately you're predicting the future and it's uh, almost as good as predicting the weather and that doesn't <laughs> happen very often very well either. The next dot that I'm wanting to collect uh, from you is about the Australian unemployment rate. Uh, where are you thinking it's going to go? At the last result that we have is 3.8% in November, which was up from 3.7% in October. Well, now that I've given all our listeners the confidence level that we're predicting <laughs> as good as the weather, let, let, let us crack on to the Australian unemployment rate. Yeah, so this one's a, a, a connected dot again to an interesting one where – the consensus forecast on the market is a steep rise in unemployment. Mm-hmm. You know that makes sense if you're predicting uh, rate decreases, right? You'd be expecting stimulus from the RBA in response to higher levels of unemployment, mm-hmm. um, and the central estimates are unemployment levels of 4.5 percent and above, so quite a bit higher than where we are at the moment at 3.8 percent in November, uh, up from 3.7 percent in October. Mm-hmm. But this is one of those ones where you've really got to dive into the data. Um, what we've, as we've mentioned on, on a number of our podcast episodes, is we've seen the participation rate continue to rise. So more people who weren't working have been drawn out of non-working circumstances into the labour force to try and accommodate for the demand for labour that businesses need, which is not being supported by the number of people we've got. We're certainly seeing... Uh, immigration helping, you know, so uh, net overseas migration to the country is helping bring people available into the economy to fill these job vacancies that are, that are available. Uh, but these are also, I think, um, going to turn around in 2024. Uh, the participation rate is always a temporary move. So participation rates are relatively stable over time. We can see them uh, revert back to trend. So as um, people are able to move back out of the workforce, they will, and I think we'll see that happen uh, in 2024, but slowly. Uh, but net immigration will certainly help fill the gaps, but cause people cause an increase in the number of people looking for jobs. Um, so I'm certainly expecting a strong increase in unemployment across 2024, up from where we are now at 3.8%. But again, I'm going to give myself a band to work with a here. A little buffer. Yeah, so somewhere between 4 to 4.5%. And that, again, lots of these things are connected. That is also going to be low enough that's going to keep, in my view, the brakes on interest rate decreases. Mm-hmm. It's not super high unemployment, sort of uh, back to long-term trend levels. Uh, it's almost back to the old definition of full employment, which is, we've talked about the RBA's charter. What does that mean? Um, I don't think it's too high. It's sort of, sort of in that Goldilocks band of not too much and not too little, so... I think it'll be a good thing for the economy to have slightly higher unemployment, but not to levels that are going to hurt anyone. That's interesting, Paul. Very interesting. <laughs> Moving to the Australian GDP growth rate. Uh, the last result that we have for this one is 2.1%. Predictions, I think, around the traps. 
1.5% for 2024. Yeah, it's a lot less, isn't it? It is a lot less. So you can see how there is a consistent trend, not with me, but with others around lower growth, higher unemployment, more rate decreases. You can see these this connected pattern. Yeah. I'm predicting less rises, less unemployment, less increase in unemployment levels. But that also must mean uh, I'm predicting a slightly higher GDP growth rate, and I am. Uh, there's a few reasons for that. Um, the Australian economy was certainly surprising, really resilient in 2023, outpacing all predictions. Uh, it shrugged off virtually all of the rate rises that the RBA threw at it. And we've already talked about uh, this different or, or contrasting story around a growing of the pie analogy. The whole economy grew, but everyone had slightly less, so this per capita uh, recession move. But what is a topic that we've touched on but is very relevant for why the Australian economy was so resilient was this sharp decrease in savings rates. The uh, households in Australia were able to accumulate and save a lot through both government stimulus and less available spending during the COVID era. Yeah, uh, We saw savings rates at record highs and Australian households were able to build up buffers during that period, which they have been drawing on to deal with the RBA rate increases and bracket creep. Bracket so, creep, that, yeah. that 10% reduction in household income uh, is both real, but we haven't seen it yet translate into reduced spending by consumers in the economy because they've been drawing on savings to deal with it. Mm-hmm. Now that, of course, is temporary, but it's not over. So, the household savings buffer still exists and households are certainly continuing to feel the wealth effects of their property prices going up. And that uh, translates into more spending and confidence. We talk about confidence here. So, household confidence is important. But if, generally speaking, the the house or property assets are the biggest balance sheet item for households, if they're feeling confident about the value of that asset and their balance sheet's going up, they have confidence to spend. And that, I think, will continue into 2024. And, of course, internationally, we were well supported by higher than expected iron ore prices and exports to China. Uh, as although China struggled generally overall, they did make cars, BYD, as the example we talked about before. And I expect these trends to continue in 2024. I expect um, households to continue feeling wealthy. I expect them to continue drawing on their savings buffer. And I'm expecting that China will continue to make these things in alternate non-property construction parts of the economy, which will continue to draw in 2024 in this short to medium term on the things that uh, this country relies upon, along with the supporting base of immigration into the country. So, for all of these factors, I'm actually thinking it's going to be a pretty good year for the Australian economy, surprisingly enough. And so, uh, although um, you know, consensus forecasts are GDP growth rates are somewhere between 1% to 1.5%, uh, I'm thinking higher than that and somewhere between one5 and 2 Wow. That is so interesting because I've just read the other day that doctors are reporting people are coming with like 18th century conditions like scurvy because they can't buy fresh fruit and vegetables. So it's so strange to hear that you think that Australians are feeling wealthy when these sort of things are happening. And that's the news cycle, right? So it's another, if we were warning about the follies of prediction before, uh, one of the other follies in um, just generally the way people think is confirmation bias or 
the types of inaccuracy of information that we all take on board. So we should all be reading a lot. We should all be getting a lot. Um, certainly, again, a warning to listeners, listen to this podcast with predictions, but listen to a lot of predictions. Yeah. Get a lot of data. So certainly you can draw a story or conclusion around any particular outcome you want if you're going to isolate you know, the data set or the the impact of that particular story. And there will be a, a, there's probably a scurvy stat out there in Australia and exists. I don't know it. Yeah. Uh, and it, it, it could be one of our predictions. Will the scurvy rate in Australia <laughs> go up or down for the year? And, and it'll change, right? So there, that, that could be a prediction, but it's going to be a pretty small number in an absolute sense. Yeah. I just, I still can't quite come to grips with it. Um, how we can say that people are feeling wealthy when what we hear so much of the time is actually that there's a cost of living crisis and people are really struggling. So how can those two things sit side by side? Do they exist? Do they coexist? No, they absolutely do. And that's the the really important distinction between aggregate numbers and per capita numbers. Mm-hmm. So we can, we can make comments and we are making predictions here on the aggregate outcome for the Australian economy. So the aggregate of all outcomes, yeah. the sum total of all outcomes. And there are always winners and losers and there are always different individual in- um, impacts. And certainly what we're seeing in this country, in particular with increased immigration, is that there are more people coming into this country and so people have less each. If we use the example of a $100 pie and there's 10 people in the economy today, then we've each got $10 of the pie. But if there's 20 people next year and the pie is only still $100, we've only got $5 of the pie. But if we didn't have immigrants, we wouldn't have the pie because it wouldn't have been produced, right? Yeah, we're, we're getting out of the, the – so I think uh, a particular potential prime minister lost an election around talking about cakes and pies. Um, but that's right. I mean, it's, they're all, these are all connected yeah. uh, data points that it takes more to make more. Yeah. So it takes more inputs to make more, which means more people. And people are inputs in this sense, in an economic sense. It's an economic for, um, podcast. More people will produce more output, output or should. Mm-hmm. In fact, more people should produce more output uh, on a per capita basis if productivity increases to produce a wealth effect. If everyone really wants more, we should have more people and more productive capacity per people. Yeah. And so there are lots of ways to think about how we um, produce a better society and produce better outcomes for people. Um, but coming back to your story here around is there a cost of living crisis, there absolutely is. But that doesn't necessarily mean, and, and it doesn't at all mean that the Australian economic pie isn't increasing. It is. Right. Right. Exactly. And so these, these, both these things can exist at the same time. Exactly. And so it's just a snapshot of a certain point. Moving right along then to house prices, where I think many Australians who do own houses are feeling the wealth effect. What are your predictions um, on this data point, Mr. Scanlon? Yeah. So. You know, the worst thing you can try and do, I think, in economics is predict house prices. Everyone's <laughs> yes. really got an opinion on this stuff. Um, so I'll keep this one short. I mean, the average median house price grew in 2023 by 5.4%. Mm-hmm. Pretty phenomenal result given the amount of interest, interest rate increases that we saw. So that's a really counter-cyclical move. Um, that should not have happened if you if you played the straight economic bat. With those sort of interest rate rises, property prices should have been flat or falling. So yeah. that's a really strong and surprising result of 5.4% increase. But again, consistent with the the, the painting I'm, I'm sort of putting up there for you uh, is that I, I think supply is too low and there's yeah. structural forces there. You know, like if people can get on a plane and arrive in Australia pretty quickly mm-hmm. in great numbers – you can't turn on the tap to, to housing supply as quickly, even if you wanted to, even if all of the local planning authorities, you know, 
got around all the issues that everyone's talked about in terms of approving things and releasing land and all those sorts of things. You've still got to then have people who buy it, design it, get supplies, build it, have it signed off, you know, sell it, have people move in. All that just takes time. So there's going to be a real um, pressure on housing prices by very basic supply and demand economics. Mm -hmm. We are going to have more demand and we are not going to have any or not an equivalent amount of increase in supply so uh, economics 101 will still say that the um, growth in house prices is going to be high in 2024 i'm going to take a bit of a, a chicken's way out here so the house price increase in 2023 was 5.4 percent my prediction here is it's more higher than that in 2024 <laughs> We talked briefly uh, already about the Australian population rate as it stands, uh, increasing by 2.4% in 2023. Where do you think we're going for 2024? Yeah, we talked a little bit about this already, so I won't cover the ground we've already been across. But a, a story which I think has not also been talked about is outward migration. We talked about mm -hmm. inward migration, net immigration, uh, and natural increases within this country. There's certainly been a trend uh, during COVID, of course, um, borders were closed. Uh, people, as they could, return home, generally speaking, to Australia. Not me. <laughs> <laughs> you did after a while. Uh, and, and we've seen you know, a catch-up in that uh, after uh, borders were reopened. But I think we're going to see a growth in outward migration as well as inward migration. So, there's going to be a mm -hmm. lot more um, people movements both ways. So, there's a catch-up, I think, in outward migration uh, to happen, which will start to moderate uh, the overall effect of um, population growth or net immigration effects into Australia in 2024. Mm -hmm. We certainly seen um, student visa um, uh, migration levels peak. Uh, they were really quick to catch up uh, when the you know border restrictions were dropped, and yeah. you know there was lots of stimulus packages around returning students to educational institutions in Australia. And, of course, the federal government has recently announced its migration strategy uh, to limit the population growth from net overseas migration in this country. I think that's going to be more of a political statement than have any real impact, uh, to be honest. It doesn't actually have much teeth in it. It's, yeah, uh, I think it's an estimate. Correct, yeah. So, there's not a lot of policy. It's, a, as you say, a bit of a headline without a lot of uh, detail. So, I don't really think that's going to have much of an impact, at least in 2024, until there is any real government traction and policy traction to go and get bureaucrats to do anything about that. So, if we saw um, population increase in Australia at 2.4% in 2023, which is very high, by the way, from historical standards, um, I think it'll still be high in 2024. Uh, I'm predicting in the range between 2 and 2.4%. Moving along to the global growth rate. Um, so, a broad consensus is that the global growth rate uh, and inflation will slow in 2024. Central banks are expected to start to pivot away from tightening cycles in the first half of the year. Around the world, governments generally run deficit policies to support economies, uh, and they did this during COVID and the post-COVID periods. But for the first time, that is also expected to change with governments taking the chance to reduce deficits as interest rates moderate uh, over the course of the year. What are you thinking about this, Paul? Yeah, so this one's about the global growth rate. Uh, the last result in 2023, as recorded by the IMF, was 3%. So yeah. global growth rate in 2023, according to the IMF, was 3%. Mm -hmm. um, the IMF is 
predicting pretty close to that in 2024, Mm -hmm. 2.9%. I'm slightly more pessimistic on the global outlook than most forecasters. Interesting. Mm, um, We certainly had a bit of a miracle economy in Australia, which um, has blown everyone away, me included. Um, But it's, it's looking strong this year, but globally not so. Um, I think certainly that global savings reduction story uh, is a bigger impact outside of Australia. Certainly consumers around the world have all been subject to higher interest rates and have used their savings throughout 2023 to fight off the impacts of uh, increased interest rates by central banks around the world. Mm -hmm. Uh, And that has a bit of a a, a magnifying impact, you know, when when savings start to run out, um, you know, not only do you – deal with the the loss of um, new spending, uh, but you also tend to have two years worth of negative. You know, if there was meant to be a reduction in spending in globally in 2023 and people use their savings to get uh, past that year, there'll sort of be two years worth of spending reduction in 2024 from cl- uh, consumers um, globally is what I'm predicting. A bit of a payback to catch up. So why, sorry, why? Why is that two years? Well, think about it certainly in a, in a consumption point of view. If you were faced with higher interest rates in 2020, 2023 but still spent and used yeah. your savings to deal with those things, um, there is spending that you took out and used in 2023 which inflated the consumption numbers in 2023 which shouldn't have been there other than the, con- the reduction in savings which you used. Yeah. In 2024, consumers will then – have to pay that back. There'll either be a catch-up in savings, a reduction in spending, the things that they chose to do in 2023, they just will not be able to do in 2024. Mm-hmm. It's not a consistent story around the world. Um, I'm also expecting inflation to remain stickier across global uh, economies mm-hmm. uh, with everyone already banking the easy wins that they've you know put in place to try and reduce inflation. It's, it's the last few percent of the inflation ban, which is hard to take out. Um, I'm certainly seeing the Eurozone perhaps have a better story around that. Um, It's seen uh, weaker food and energy inflation already start to kick in. Uh, And so um, I would expect that the ECB will cut rates more aggressively than the US Fed, although the US Fed will also reduce rates in 2024. So overall, uh, although the IMS is predicting 2.9%, I'm seeing uh, a lower band somewhere between 2 to 2.5% is my prediction with um, most of that divergence coming from, um, in fact, a lower expected contribution overall from the Chinese economy. Interesting. So you're saying that you're expecting lower global growth because of China, but in Australia you're expecting strong growth with a huge contributing factor being China. Yeah. This one is a sort of similar story to what we said before with the uh, per capita numbers being different than the total numbers. And so we see the um, the global growth rate is the growth rate across all economies in the world. You know, there's a lot of economies and a lot of different diverging trends. Some develop, some non-develop, some in war zones, some not. I mean, mm-hmm. and, and all having central banks that are in various different stages of, of policy alignment. So it, it's it's a, an amalgam of many, many individual stories Um and some of those stories are much bigger than the Australian story. I mean, think about the size of the Chinese economy, for example. It can still have a year which is less than what it had contributed in the past. It's certainly mm-hmm. been the major driver of world economic growth for a long, long time with 
you know, massive, you know, dollars, absolute dollar senses and percentage increases. So five to six percent on the, on an economy, the um, Chinese size is just huge in dollar sense. So yeah. um, the Australian economy is much, much smaller. So we are certainly benefiting, uh, in a dollar trade sense from the Chinese economy, which will still grow. Mm-hmm. But it will not grow at the rates it did to support the overall impact on global growth rates. So, the, you know, think about the size of the global economy and the size of the Chinese economy. For the global economy to continue growing, it needs the big engines of the US and China and Europe to grow and grow strongly. But it's certainly been China, you know, doing the heavy lifting for a long, long time. So, as its growth starts to moderate, it, that impact will be bigger on global growth rates than the individual impact on Australia. Yeah, that makes sense. Paul, we've done a lot of hard and heavy economic uh, questions. Let's move to some that are a little bit more political economic, actually. Uh, the first one being the US election. What are you thinking? Well, God, who knows? <laughs> now, now we're getting into difficult territory. If, uh, if predicting global growth rates is hard, well, <laughs> yeah, this is right. even harder. What is interesting, though, is that um, 2024 will be a record year for global democracy. Yeah. There's, in fact, 70 elections across democracies in 2024 and 4.2 billion people wow. will be voting. For the, this is for the first time over half of the world's population will vote in a single year. Wow. This includes places like the US, uh, Mexico, India, Indonesia, and Russia. Um, so, it's, it's just a massive. It's, it's, it's the year for democracy. Some of these aren't real democracies, but it's still the year for democracy. So, uh, we'll see how that goes. And, we, and we'll learn a lot from uh, this particular change. So, we will see a step change mm-hmm. in, uh, in global voting trends and political trends in 2024. So, it's a big year. Big year. Far out. Of course, the big election is the US one. It's happening later in 2024. Um, who's going to win? This is, this is a difficult one. Um, and it. Uh, this stage is very difficult to predict because it's, you know, the story is around a Trump-Biden battle. Um, controversially, um, I'm going to say if the battle, and, I, and this is kind of how I'm going to lay down this prediction, if the battle is between Democrats and Republicans who are not Trump or Biden, okay, then I'm uh, predicting that the Democrats will win. Interesting. However, if this is a Trump v. Biden battle, and Trump is able to run in all states, then I'm predicting Trump will win. Wow. That I hope you are wrong about. (laughs) (laughs) Well, you can have lots of views around that. Um, And he's a difficult character, um, but there's one thing to be said around democracy and that it's never wrong. But another thing to add there, by the way, uh, back to our economics for a moment, uh, if Trump does win, um, certainly, uh, Jerome Powell, uh, the chair, certainly Jerome Powell, the, uh, chair of the Fed Reserve in the US, his, uh, his days are numbered. He's not a, not a Trump fan and trans, Trump's no fan of his. I'm sure many things will change if Trump gets back into power. Least of all, Jerome Powell. Yeah. But what we do know, of course, is, is it'll be a very small number of voters in a very small number of places in that country, which determine that outcome. Mm-hmm. One thing is for sure, the world got a little more boring uh, when Trump was not in power, without it, Biden in power, sort of like. Sometimes boring is good, um, sometimes it's not. <laughs> oh, my God. Moving right along uh, with the next question uh, about risk assets. Where are you thinking? 
oil, gold, Bitcoin is going uh, over the course of 2024? Uh, I'm going to be controversial about this. So, we the latest crude oil price is, uh, I'm, I'm seeing your screens today, so it's US $73 and a bit uh, per barrel. Um, you know, with my predictions of slower economic growth in 2024, I'd have to be predicting a price less than that, and, and I am, so I'm predicting oil closer to $60 a barrel. Oh, wow. Yeah, iron ore is an interesting one. I mean, it's currently trading at around US $141 a tonne. Um, you know, that's very interesting given that our federal um, budget here in Australia is relying on prices of $55 US dollars a tonne, mm. you know, less than half. I mean, that's why we keep getting these crazy surprise surpluses. I don't know why the bureaucrats don't kind of… Cotton on. Like, yeah, a little bit, right? Like, there's kind of like some secret savings they're building into this thing every year, which I sort of just need to stop doing. Um, but I'd see that uh, still being quite elevated, so certainly well above the um, government's predictions of 55 close to $100 a tonne for, um, for iron ore. Uh, Bitcoin, my answer is who cares? It's a scam. <laughs> yeah. We can't give advice, financial advice on this uh, on this podcast, but it is a complete Ponzi scheme scam. Run away quickly. So I'm refusing to give any podcast any um, predictions on Bitcoin. Fair enough. Global tensions are up. We obviously know that. We see the news: Ukraine, Gaza, China, Taiwan. What are your predictions uh, for these conflicts t- for 2024, Paul? Well, at a macro level, um, what is a bit disturbing is that the, the the rate of violence is increasing and the rate of instability is increasing and that leads to a, uh, an increased level of uh, difficulty in predicting the future. Mm-hmm. So, volatility uh, is not a predictor's friend. Right. Uh, so, the, lots of these conflict zones have very interesting and challenging outcomes. I mean, an escalation in the Middle East is is a real possibility. Again, when we talked about a range of scenarios that we should consider, if that escalation occurs in the Middle East, it will certainly draw in the US military, which draws its eyes away from uh, the Pacific zone and away from Taiwan, for example, which has really got the potential for conflict to heat up between China and Taiwan if the US military gets trapped in another um, uh, theatre of war. Um so this is, you know, next to impossible to be particularly accurate on. What I will say is um, some simple ones. I, I don't think China is going to invade Taiwan in 2024. Um, I do think the the Palestinian-Israeli conflict will be dealt with in some sense uh, throughout 2024. Um, there will be some truce slash you know, peace resolve. And that's a that's a conflict that I think anyone can afford to continue and escalate in the way. Uh, that it could very potentially do, so that one will get shut down more quickly than others. But I am also predicting uh, that the Ukrainian war will uh, be over in a, in a practical sense by the end of 2024, but not through any – it's not a retreat of Russia. It's not a win by the Ukrainians. It's sort of a, a, a stalemate to nothing, which is where the war has sort of gotten to. Um, some sort of demarcation line will be drawn and um, people will all be unhappy. So final question then, Mr. Scanlon. Um, and this is the big one. What will be the big story of 2024, in your opinion? There are lots of options on the table, Mr. Scanlon. Increased conflict, rise of AI, adoption of EVs, new drugs by Global Pharma, global election cycle, rate cuts, global growth. What are you thinking? 
Well, the big story. So, I don't know. How are you going to test me on this one when we go back to test uh, my accuracy? Is it going to be some quant statistical model, number of headlines? That is a good question. Maybe we'll have AI by then, which will be able to uh, accurately add up the number of headlines talked about for particular news stories. Should we try and use that as a measure? That should be it. All right. Well, um, if we're thinking about uh, placing ourselves at the end of 2024 and looking back on what was Mm. the big story of the 2024 calendar year, um, I'd certainly like to, to, to note that for a long time now, both US and Russia have been pivoting relationships to China and within Asia, but they're both now distracted by war. So yeah. there's, there's some fertile ground in that. Uh, there is a new energy resource race happening. Um, you know, resources like lithium, copper, nickel are starting to matter now more than oil and coal. Mm-hmm. Uh, and this will really start to create some unexpected winners and losers, both uh, for lots of zones, developing zones and developed zones around the world. So that could be the story. We've got an Olympics coming up in Paris. So, oh my uh, God. <laughs> it's, it's Didn't a big even year. know. <laughs> yep. It's a huge year for democracy. Um, but uh, I think the big story and, and the big issue for 2024 is going to be the US election. It just affects too much. Yeah. And uh, so I've got to back my prediction. I, I did say here if, if, and the biggest uh, question is if, it's a Trump versus Biden election in which Trump is allowed to run in all states. Um, my prediction is that he wins. If that occurs, then I do think he'll withdraw support uh, for Ukraine. I think uh, that will um, create a relatively road Russia and have some pretty serious Taiwan impacts as well. So uh, the big story is the US election for me. This was our first uh, prediction episode of The Invisible Hand. We hope you enjoyed it. Here at The Invisible Hand, we're here to talk about all of those economic conversations that aren't being spoken about enough Uh, in the news or by other commentators and we thank you our listeners for tuning in to hear what we think Uh, we've loved your feedback over the course of the year and we'd love to hear more from you hear more from you about what we should be researching that we can report back to you uh, so you feel more informed uh, and understand more what's happening uh, in your economy and the world around you until we return with our first regular episode of 2024 stay curious stay curious